Welcome to the Mariners cast from Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. It is August 31st. This is Mariners cast number 79, I believe. It's Thursday. Mariners have an off day. Upcoming three games set in New York against the New York Mets. On today's Mariners cast, we will uh, talk New York Mets, some of the, I guess, the cautionary tale of the 2023 New York Mets. The Mariners have made a waiver claim on one of the players that we talked about yesterday. Um, Some of those other players have been claimed as well by other teams. Uh, We will walk through the schedule, the remaining schedule of the Seattle Mariners, and uh, get you ready for the upcoming series uh, this weekend. So Mariners are 76 and 57 tied for first place in the American league West uh, with the Houston Astros also tied with the Astros for the second and third wildcard spots. Both teams are one game ahead of the Texas Rangers eight and two in the last 10 games. Mariners have an 86% chance of making the playoffs according to ESPN, an 87% chance to make the playoffs, according to Fangraphs. Mariners have a 32.4% chance to win the division and uh, therefore clinch a bye. And now, according to Fangraphs, the Mariners have a 6.7% chance to make the World Series. Think about that for a minute. Does that get you excited? I certainly like the idea of seeing the Mariners in the World Series. Yesterday, the Mariners won 5-4 over the Oakland Athletics. They took the second game of the series um, for the Mariners. So the Mariners won the series 2-1. Bryce Miller struggled a bit, really uh, was able to course correct. Six innings, seven hits, three runs, no walks, five strikeouts. Uh, Pitched very well after surrendering those, surrendering those three runs in the second inning. Mariners scored three in the third and then uh, two in the seventh to win 5-4. Not a whole lot to talk about in this game. Uh, Justin Topa gave up a run in the seventh. Matt Brash and Andres Munoz closed the game out with scoreless eighth and ninth innings. Uh, Taylor Hernandez hit a big three-run home run in the third inning. That is what powered the Mariners' offense for the most part. Um, I was planning on doing a deep dive into Teo uh, today until uh, the news broke about the waiver claim and um, some thoughts came to mind about the Mets. So we will put that off for another day. But Teo Hernandez is is absolutely raking right now. So again, the Mariners win uh, 5-4. Not a whole lot to take away from the game other than Teo's heroics and uh, the ability of Bryce Miller to, to shake off a difficult uh second inning against the Athletics to go six innings, giving up three runs. So the Mariners travel to New York for this three-game series against the Mets. We'll stay on the road for three games against Cincinnati next week, and then four games in Tampa Bay against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Those seven games are not going to be easy. Cincinnati is in the... uh, in the wild card hunt in the National League, they were the team that claimed both Harrison Bader and Hunter Renfro just a few minutes ago. Uh, their outfield was a little bit 
lefty heavy. And so Bader and, and Renfro will give them some balance. Those, uh, Bader specifically, I think, was a very smart pickup by the Reds. Reds are exciting. They're young. You'll see former Mariners prospects Brandon Williamson and Noel V. Marte on that Cincinnati team. Small ballpark, lots of home runs. Should be a good matchup. Four in Tampa. Tampa is always difficult, especially in Tampa. Um, you would hope to see a, I guess, four and three record uh, coming out of those two series. And if the Mariners can take two of three from the Mets, then you're looking at uh, six and six and four on on the road trip. That would be a successful road trip, as far as I'm concerned, against uh, these three teams. Mariners come home. Angels for three. Off day, Dodgers for three. That Angel series should be pretty much a walkover. They've given up. They still do have Shohei Otani, but they really all of their resources are gone. Dodgers are always tough. We know that. They may be the best team in baseball. Three in Oakland, off day, and then that 10-game stretch of to close out the, se- the season with three in Texas, three at home against the Astros, four against Texas at home. Uh so some difficult series. I again, Cincinnati, Tampa Bay, the Dodgers, the Rangers, the Astros. Not going to be easy. Uh, you have to make hay against the Mets, against the A's, and against the Angels. But uh, really, this is the the stretch run. Um, I'm glad the Mariners gave Julio the day a couple of days off uh, to rest up. They're going to need him. So those waiver claims. The Guardians, interestingly, I was shocked to see that they had made claims. They claimed Lucas Giolito, middle of the rotation starter, Matt Moore, uh, tough left-handed reliever, uh, similar success to Gabe Spire, um, very good player, and Reynaldo Lopez, who we talked about with the 98-mile-an-hour fastball and the big slider. Um so two the two guys that the Angels had acquired from the White Sox were claimed by the Guardians. Uh the Guardians sit 64 and 70, but they are only five games behind the Minnesota Twins. And I would assume they see the guard the twins as vulnerable. The twins have had some injuries. Uh they're not the most talented team. I can understand wanting to make a push, and I guess. If you're paying the prorated salaries of those three guys, it's not a huge expenditure. Uh, they are 11 and a half games out in the wild card. That's not a realistic goal for them. They are looking to win the division. As I said, the Reds claimed Harrison Bader and Hunter Renfro. Smart claims. Um, I think Bader could be very valuable if you use him exclusively against left-handed pitchers and as a defensive um, replacement and defensive center fielder for uh, high-percentage fly ball pitchers. Randall Grichik, a name a lot of Mariners fans wanted, uh, went unclaimed. I think Grichik was a product uh, of the Colorado Rockies home field for most of the year. He does hit well against lefties, but he went unclaimed. And the Mariners made one claim. That was Dominic Leone. I am a huge fan of um, Leone's slider. I think it's smart. I think it fits right in with the MO of Jerry DePoto and this current regime. Um, I will talk a little bit later about the New York Mets and their expenditures specifically on relief pitching. Leone is an example of why the Mariners are smart, of why 
DePoto is to be trusted of why the Mariners have been successful over these last couple of seasons. So for those who didn't listen yesterday, Leone is a free agent at the end of this season. He's a right-handed relief pitcher. He came up through the Mariners minor league system years ago. On the season, at least as of yesterday, one and three with a four six four ERA and a one four one WHIP. Not great. Eleven percent walk rate, twenty four percent K rate. Um, the double digit walk rate isn't great. The K rate is kind of pedestrian for a reliever. However, fifteen point seven percent swinging strike rate is top notch. So lots of swinging strikes. Thirty three point five percent whiff rate is elite. zone contact, meaning it is about 2% more difficult to make contact with his pitches that are strikes so far this season. He's got a high chase rate, so hitters swing at pitches out of the zone. And he's a low chase contact rate, 14% lower than league average, meaning when hitters chase pitches outside of the zone against Leone, they do not make contact nearly as often as they do against most major league pitchers. Difficult to hit. Three and a half percent higher first pitch strikes than league average. 82nd percentile fastball spin. So he's got a high spin fastball that he averages 95.5. He's got a cutter at 92. And he's got a slider that he throws at 85. The slider, 49% whiff rate. Half the swings against the slider are whiffs. That is, the Mariners have to be ecstatic to get a pitcher with this kind of swing and miss. Whiff on the cutter, 27.5%. Whiff on the four-seamer, 26%. So you've got this pitcher who is really difficult to hit. Really, really, really difficult to hit. The pitch that was hit the best by hitters was the cutter so far this season. 328 average against the cutter. 419, or excuse me, 466 slug. You can imagine maybe the Mariners just have him go four seam slider and that's it. But Leone is a huge addition to this bullpen. Very, very smart by the Mariners. I would expect the Mariners to add he and Sam Haggerty to, uh, to the roster as on September 1 when the, when the rosters go up. By two players, it would be a natural add. Uh, he could very well be a high leverage reliever for the Mariners. You can see against a right-handed heavy lineup, you could see Leone being the pitcher coming in in the seventh or the eighth. Now you have a little more cushion to make sure that Matt Brash is doing okay. You got cushion against Matt Brash having fatigue or injury. Um, Leone is that very uh, classic fastball slider type of reliever. Um, Justin Topa is very different, more sinker slider, effective against lefties. Um, You've got a little bit more diversity in this bullpen. He is a supercharged version of some of the relievers that the Mariners have in uh, in the, the kind of the front portion of their bullpen. I love it. I love it. I think it's classic DePoto. It's classic current Mariners. Um, so smart. And they didn't, it's not splashy. It's not the kind of thing that, you know, your casual fan will get super excited about. 
But he, imagine this. So if the Mariners can tweak him slightly, which we know they do with relievers all the time, and they can take advantage of this level of swing and miss, and you now have a another high leverage right-handed arm to add to this bullpen, I'm not calling him Paul Seawald. He's not Paul Seawald. But you had, it felt like there was a slight void at the back end of the bullpen with someone you could trust when Seawald was traded. We know that the bullpen has been really effective since he's been gone, but we've also seen some fatigue on Munoz and Brash. Leone can be the guy to, to play or to take up that role again, not the Seawald role, but the, another slot in the high leverage situation. So I don't know. I could go on forever about how much I love this move. Smart. It was the, the player or the pitcher that I thought was most realistic that the Mariners could claim. Um, it was the one that I said I thought that might happen yesterday. I thought Lopez would be gone by then. I thought Moore would be gone by then, but I thought Leone might be someone who would fall through the cracks. Awesome move, Jerry DePoto. I love it. Can't wait to see him in a Mariners uniform. So the Mariners are taking on the New York Mets starting tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. As we all know, the Mets run the highest payroll in baseball or ran the highest payroll in baseball coming into the season. Steve Cohen had bought the, the Mets a couple of years ago. He has tons of money, much more money than any other owner in baseball. Um, and they made a bunch of splashy moves. Didn't work out. They cut bait on a lot of them. We'll talk about that in a minute. The Mets sit 61 and 73. This was supposed to be a 100-win team, according to Mets fans, according to their management. I think most folks saw them as a 90, low 90s win team, maybe 91, 92. I think baseball prospectus had them somewhere in that range. Maybe high 80s, but I believe it was low 90s. They are 27 games out in the National League East behind the Atlanta Braves. 27 for a team that was supposed to contend a minus 40 run differential, and they are three and seven in their last 10. Uh, the Mariners starting pitchers for this series are, um, it's hard to peg who it's going to be because uh, George Kirby will probably slot in sometime um, in this series. He was obviously uh, scratched from his outing this week because of an illness. As of right now, it is Logan Gilbert going tomorrow against Kodai Senga. Saturday, it's Luis Castillo against Carlos Carrasco. And Sunday at 1040, it's Brian Wu against Tyler McGill. Uh, MLB.com has TBD for all three games for the Mariners. I got those names off of ESPN. My understanding is that uh, Kirby could go in any of these three slots at first, I thought he would go after Castillo to kind of line up the Mariners' rotation. Um, so he would go Sunday. Brian Wu get pushed to Monday. But I've heard all sorts of things. So as of right now, I think the three starters we will see for the Mariners are Gilbert, Castillo, Kirby. But I don't know which order. Uh, so the Mets. They spent a ton of money in the offseason. Um, they had some prospects that I think could have played roles on this team from opening day, uh, most notably Francisco Alvarez at catcher, Brent Beatty at third base, Matt Vientos at a corner infield or DH, and even Ronnie Mauricio, who 
is he's not positionless. He came up as a shortstop originally, but he's too big to play short, I think. Um, but he's a bat. He could play corner outfield. You could see him at second. You could see him at third. Um, but when you look at their roster and you look at all of the money they spent and the roster they put together, is really old. It's old team, uh, old team with injury history, which makes them even more susceptible to injury. And still a ton of questions at various spots, despite the fact that they ran the highest payroll in baseball at the beginning of the year. They paid top dollar for relievers. Good teams do not do that. Smart teams do not do that. The Mariners do not do that. The Mariners have, of the relievers, I believe Andres Munoz is the only one who has a contract that is something other than your typical contract for the first six years. I think he's the only one. And that contract was signed because they saw the potential in Munoz a couple of years ago, and it's a deal. You compare that to the signings of in the bullpen of the Mets in the offseason. They re-signed Edwin Diaz, five years, $102 million, $20-plus million a year for a reliever. Check this number out. Edwin Diaz last year had what was considered a historic season for a relief pitcher, right? And they paid him over five years, 20 plus million dollars. Edwin Diaz Fangraph's war for 2022 in this historic season was 3.0. So 3.0 Fangraph's war for Edwin Diaz last season. In a season where he pitched 62 innings, he had 118 strikeouts, a 1-3-1 ERA, 32 saves. Those numbers are great for a reliever, obviously. Like I said, historic. But it was worth three Fangraphs war for the entire season. As of this point in time in the Mariner season, not even through the entire season, probably about 80% of the way, something like that. Here's the list of the Mariners above three Fangraphs war. Julio at 5.3, Cal Raleigh 3.7. J.P. Crawford, 3.3, George Kirby, 3.9, Luis Castillo, 3.2, even Logan Gilbert is 2.9, Ben Grass War. So you're paying $20 million for a season that's likely not going to be repeated by a reliever who is entering his age 29 season. You're going to pay that much money when we know that dominant relief pitchers can be found on the scrap heap. If you have the right coaching and the right instruction, they also paid Adam Ottavino, right-handed reliever, two years, fourteen point five million. In his age thirty, going into his age thirty-seven season, they paid David Robertson one year, ten million, for his age thirty-eight season. So you've got a bullpen between Diaz, who ends up getting hurt. They didn't know that was going to happen at twenty million. Ottavino at seven just over seven, so $27 million plus the 10 for Robertson, $37 million for your three back-end relief pitchers. Compare that to the Mariners. Coming into the season, it was Seawald, Munoz, and let's say Brash. It's such a mismanagement of resources to pay that much money out for your relief pitching. Makes no sense to me. So that's one example, right? They also happen to have a relief pitcher in their system as of 
December of 2022, named Taylor Saucedo. Sound familiar? Left-handed relief pitcher that they claimed on waivers. And then on January 31st, when they signed Tommy Pham, outfielder, 30-plus years old, obviously, they designated Taylor Saucedo for assignment. And who picked him up? The, The Seattle Mariners, January 31st, 2023. As we know, Saucedo has been a an important reliever out of the Mariners' bullpen this season. They could have had him for free. They had him for free. Instead of going out and paying all of these guys a bunch of money. It's, cra- it's crazy to me. And it, it seems very elementary, just as a fan, that they would that it makes sense to not go out and pay a bunch of relievers. You know, we all know the signings of Justin Verlander, two years, $86.6 million for his age 40 season. He ends up getting traded to the uh, Houston Astros for the Astros' top two prospects, Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford. Very smart trade at that point in time. They signed Kodai Senga, right-handed starting pitcher from Japan, five years, $75 million. Strikeout stuff, dominant fastball, dominant forkball. Um, he's been very good for them. That's a very smart signing. They signed Jose Quintana, two years, $26 million left-handed starter back into the rotation for his age 34 season. Again, another older player. They signed Omar Narvaez, former Mariner, two years, $15 million, age 31 season as a left-handed hitting catcher. But Narvaez, you can find anywhere. There's nothing special about Omar Narvaez. His hit tool might be slightly above average. His power is average at best. He's an okay defensive catcher. You spent $7.5 million on basically someone you can find anywhere. They traded a pitching prospect to Tampa Bay for Brooks Rayleigh, left-handed reliever. Rayleigh is very good. I would be very scared to trade Tampa Bay any reliever that they've uh, earmarked in your system. But I guess the other signing, or the other, not an acquisition, but a signing, was they signed Brandon Nimmo, their left-handed hitting center fielder, they re-signed him. Eight years, $162 million. That is $20.25 million a year for Brandon Nimmo. In his age 29 season, this season, or excuse me, last season. No, these are the season numbers. I'm sorry. 274, 367, 433, with an 800 OPS. So pretty good numbers, right? 800 OPS, gets on base 37% of the time. You like that. That That is the, the season that he was coming off of uh, when they signed him to this $20 million a year contract. He had 16 home runs and 673 plate appearances, so not a ton of power. Three stolen bases, over 50% ground balls. Outs above average last season, 90th percentile. So very good defensive center fielder, 84th percentile speed. So good defensive center fielder, not big platoon splits, gets on base, a little bit of power, not a ton, but $20 million to that guy. The Mariners have a player who has put up very comparable stats this season as Brandon Nimmo offensively, and that's J.P. Crawford. Crawford, 268, 385, 421 with an 806 OPS. So Crawford, slightly higher on base percentage, slightly higher OPS. 12 home runs, probably on pace to get somewhere near the 16 that Nimmo hit last year. 
28 years old, slightly younger than Nimmo, plays a slightly more important defensive position at shortstop. He's certainly not 90th percentile outs above average. But the Mariners are paying J.P. Crawford $10.2 million. Five years, $51 million contract. So again, use of resources, Mariners are paying half the money to J.P. Crawford as the Mets are to Brandon Nimmo. Similar age, similar on-base skill, and you don't pay $10 million for a defensive upgrade. I just, I think it's another example of the Mets spending money in places where if they had a smart front office, if they were uh, advanced in their thinking, cutting edge in their thinking, they wouldn't have made these decisions. So I made a list of the top spending teams, according to Sport Track, uh, this year, salary wise. So from top, from like one to 10, essentially, New York Mets are one. We know the Mets are out of contention. We just, we're talking about them now. Yankees are two. Yankees are also pretty much out of contention. Padres are three. Padres are not playing well this season. They are seven and a half games out in the wild card. Yankees are 10 games out. Fourth highest payroll, Texas Rangers. We all know about the Rangers. They're a game back behind the Mariners, but they are fading rapidly. And I think part of the fade is they've taken a lot of injury risk because they've had to spend money on older players. Nathan Eovaldi, older, hurt, right? Jacob deGrom. They spent a ton of money on DeGrom out for the season. Corey Seager in and out of the lineup. Great shortstop in and out of the lineup because of injury. They're pitching. They lack pitching because of age in many ways and because of a lack of ability to develop pitchers. So they don't have that strong farm system pitching wise that you need. Phillies are fifth. Philadelphia Phillies currently are the first wildcard team. They spent their way to get there. Their player development is not great. Dodgers are sixth as far as salary goes. We all know the Dodgers are great. I think they do a a very, very good job of balancing expenditure with player development. I think that's the Mariners' model in many ways. Mariners won't spend the same money the Dodgers do, but I think they will pounce on a big free agent when the opportunity arises and that free agent makes 100% sense. Dodgers traded for Mookie Betts, ripped off the Red Sox. We know all about that. But like the signing of Freddie Freeman, they jumped in and signed him because the Braves screwed up. Freeman is an NL MVP candidate, right? J.D. Martinez kind of on the margins type of signing because of age. Max Muncy, right? They've got these guys who are kind of on the margins and they, they just continue to cobble this, you know, those kinds of players together. And then the players become stars. They're pitching. You know, they rifle through relievers all the time, similar to, to the Mariners, right? They feel like they can always find relievers. And then they have the pitching that they're developing. It's it's Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone and Ryan Pepio and Emmett Sheehan and similar to the Mariners. So the Dodgers are the first team in the top 10 where you say, okay, similar to the Mariners, it makes a lot of sense. You can, It's sustainable. I can see it. Astros are next. Astros are seventh in payroll. 
We don't have to go over them. We know all about kind of how they do things. Uh, they develop players quite often out of nowhere. Uh, they really did empty their farm system with trading uh, Clifford and Gilbert to the Mets. But the Astros are smart. The Angels are next. The Angels are terrible. Top heavy, right? The Angels just, they suck. Blue Jays are next. Blue Jays are two and a half games out of the wild card. Um, they've developed some players, but their their minor league system is not great. And then the Braves are 10th. And the Braves develop. They spent some money. They've gotten really, I think they're really lucky to have signed their core to these below market extensions. Um, the Braves are the model for a lot of folks. I don't know if other teams can replicate it because they've gotten so many deals on resigning players. But the Braves, the Astros, and the Dodgers are the examples that I think are smart, that are using money and development to have sustainable success. Everybody else on that list are pretty much spending willy-nilly and not paying as much attention to their player development as I believe they should, the Mets being the worst example of that. Now, that brings me to the Mariners because there's been a lot of criticism of the Mariners if you go back to the offseason of not of being unwilling to spend money. You've got people criticizing the organization because they were the most profitable um, organization in baseball last season. Why aren't they spending money? Why didn't they sign Trey Turner? Why didn't they sign Carlos Correa? Why didn't, why didn't, why didn't? Well, it's because they have a philosophy that they hold on to and they believe in. And Jerry DePoto is, I think, the mastermind behind that and is willing to execute it in the face of fans screaming for the shiny new toy, right? Brandon Nimmo was a name talked about for the Mariners. If the Mariners would have dedicated $20 million a year to Brandon Nimmo, I don't think that'd be, that would have been a great addition. You might see Cade Marlowe offensively do something similar to Brandon Nimmo next season. You certainly think Jared Kelnick would be better than him offensively. When you can have young players who are on, you know, pre-arb and arbitration contracts, it's, you can spend your money elsewhere. You want to see this team develop and stay together. That's the blueprint. The Mets are the cautionary tale for spending a bunch of money stupidly for players who are big names, but don't provide or provide the same level of production as the name that people don't know. Go through their lineup. You recognize damn near every one of those names. Brandon Nimmo, Francisco Lindor, Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonzo, Daniel Vogelbach, Francisco Alvarez, right? Like Alonzo's a big name. Alvarez is a top prospect. Lindor, Nimmo, right? Like on the pitching that they ended up trading eventually. Scherzer, Verlander, Robertson. These are big names, but they didn't win. Mariners names, you don't, a lot of folks don't know any of these Mariners guys outside of Seattle. And yet the Mariners are in first place. And I think they're in first place to stay. Not just this year, but for years. I just think, be careful what you wish for when you want to see these big expenditures, right? The market said you're going to sign these big shortstops until they're 40 years old. Rangers don't believe in those albatross contracts, and they're not going to. 
The Mets course corrected. They traded Eduardo Alvar or Eduardo Escobar in June to the Angels for a couple of pitching prospects. They acquired Trevor Gott and Chris Flexen from the Mariners when they still thought they had a chance. Um, this was a salary dump. People were angry that the Mariners were dumping salary. They thought that they were downgrading. In my mind, what I see is, yes, they did dump some salary. They also freed up roster spots for pitchers who ended up being important for the team. Those are two spots that would have still been taken up. Who are you getting rid of on this current Mariners pitching staff that are worse than Trevor Gott and Chris Flexen? In hindsight, it was very smart. They traded David Robertson to the Marlins on July 28th. This signaled the fire sale. This signaled the white flag. They got two minor leaguers, 18-year-old and 19-year-old, one of whom is now in their top 10 minor leaguers. People were highly critical of this trade, but this is the kind of trade smart teams do. As I said with the seawall trade, you you trade relievers for hitters. You just do. Then they traded Scherzer on the 30th to the Rangers for Luis Songhel Acuna, Ronald Acuna's brother. He's the number 44 prospect, according to major or MLB Pipeline, in baseball. He was immediately the number one prospect in the Mets system. Love Scherzer. Mets weren't going to win it. Mets thought their window was closed. They got what they could. I think Cunha is a good return. They traded Marcana to the Braves, or the, excuse me, the Brewers, for minor league pitcher Justin Jarvis on the 31st. And then they traded Justin Verlander at the deadline to the Astros for Drew Gilbert, left-handed hitting outfielder, and Ryan Clifford, left-handed hitting first baseman. Clifford and Gilbert were the number one or number two and number one prospects in the Astros organization at the time. Gilbert became their number two prospect for the Mets. Clifford became the Mets' number six prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. So at some point in time, they realized, holy crap, we're paying all this money. This team isn't going to win anything. What are all the smart teams doing? Oh, they get young. They're looking to rebuild, right? They're looking to get a base of young, controllable players and then augment after that. And that's what the Mets went, went ahead and did. I give them credit for doing that. But it took them spending a bunch of money and doing a bunch of splashy stuff to arrive at that conclusion. The Mariners have stayed the course and tried to develop from within the entire time. So all the talking heads screaming for big shiny toys at you know during the offseason and at the trade deadline trust this regime trust what they're doing they're building the right way got pitching for days a minor league system full of young hitters and i bet they go out and draft a whole bunch of pitching next next uh draft mariners do it the right way just look at the mets as an example of why the mariners are doing it the right way so real quickly, the Mariners will be facing a Mets lineup that likely will put, uh, run six left-handed hitters. As we know, the Mariners' splits are better against righties, um, but it's likely six left-handed hitters. Brandon Nimmo in center, Francisco Lindor, switch hitter at short, Jeff McNeil, second base, Pete Alonso at first, Vogelbach, DH, Francisco Alvarez, a very, very good uh, hitter as a young catcher, hitting sixth. DJ Stewart, left-handed hitter, hitting seventh in the outfield. Mark Vientos, 
third baseman, right-handed hitter hitting eighth, and Rafael Ortega hitting ninth in left field. On the bench, Narvaez, uh, a switch hitting infielder, Jonathan Arauz, uh, right-handed hitting Danny Mendick, and right-handed hitting Tim Locastro. So you're looking at a lefty-heavy lineup. Again, that's does not play into the splits of the Mariners, but that's okay. Pitching-wise, their bullpen has been up and down. There are a couple of decent names in the bullpen, Adam Ottavino, Brooks Raley. But then you've got, you know, familiar with Trevor Gott, Phil Bickford, Dodgers cast off. If you can get to that bullpen early, you will probably win against the Mets. Um, I expect the Mariners to take two of three from the Mets. Um, I think it'll be fun to watch the Mariners in New York against a team they don't typically play. Uh, when I see the Mariners play the Mets, I always think of Felix Hernandez hitting the grand slam to right field in New York. Uh, but super fun. So again, the Mariners pick up Dominic Leone on waivers. Uh, the assumption is he will be on the roster with Sam Haggerty as of September 1st. I love the pickup, swing and miss stuff. Mariners take on the Mets for three. Uh, should be a fun series. It should be a series that the Mariners win unless the Mets get dominant pitching from uh, Kodai Senga. He is capable of that. Tyler McGill, if he goes Sunday, he is also a very, has very good stuff. So we'll see what happens. Um, this was today's Mariners cast, Thursday, August 31st. We will be back tomorrow um, to talk a little bit about more about this Mets series and any other Mariners news that comes down the pipe. Thank you for listening. Uh, we are presented by Sports Ethos. Once again, you can find me on Twitter at Tino Junior 20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. Take care, y'all. Enjoy your Thursday. We will be back tomorrow. Go Mariners. <laughs>